We know that somewhere in the world, someone downloaded this podcast, but we don't know anything about you. The folks who support this show would love to know just a little bit about who is listening. If you have two minutes, it really does only take two minutes. Help us make this show an even better experience for you by telling us more about yourself. Just go to ListenerQ, L-I-S-T-E-N-E-R-Q.com forward slash pull up and take the short survey. You can also give us direct feedback on the show, which we would love to hear. And as a thank you, you'll be entered in a drawing for a $100 Amazon gift certificate. Two minutes. ListenerQ.com slash pull up. That's ListenerQ.com slash pull up. What do you see in Carter C? I think he has that chip on his shoulder, having to play second fiddle most of his college career. Now, this is his chance to kind of show, like, look, I was the guy they forgot about. I was the guy they could have ran offense through. I'm the guy who's going to play defense, who's not going to complain about the ball, but still can get you 15 and 10. I like Kevin Knox better than a lot of these rookies I've seen. A lot of Kentucky players get better in the NBA. Knox has potential to be a very, very good wing, a big wing who can shoot, who can drive. Porzingis probably not playing most of this season allow him to have a lot of offensive responsibilities. CJ, what do you think of Schroeder? I like his game a lot. The Hoop Summit games. He played extremely well. Yeah, I played some of the USA guards and showed quickness, showed a crazy wingspan and ability to get to the rim. And I think Trey's the future of the uh, organization in the franchise, but Schroeder's a very good player who's going to compete with him every day in practice and make him earn it. Welcome to the Vince Carter episode of Pull Up, episode number 15. I'm CJ McCollum. As you guys already know, we got Jordan Schultz joining us shortly, and we have a special guest, Ben Golliver from Sports Illustrated. And appreciate you coming on, Ben. We got a lot to talk about, obviously, here at Summer League in Las Vegas right now. There's a lot of players playing well. I have been able to catch some of Kevin Knox's games. I'm a, I'm a fan already, if I do say so myself. And obviously, there's Levine getting a long-term deal. There's Dame coming out half to issue a statement as if, Blazers fans don't already know how dedicated and committed he is to, to Portland. And then there's some deals happening around the NBA. So without further ado, welcome in Ben and Jordan. Welcome. Welcome, Benjamin. Thanks for having me. I think we should paint where we are, though, CJ. I mean, we got to give these guys a little color. We're in a basement room at Thomas & Mack. The bowels of Thomas & Mack. We're surrounded by, uh, like, the glory days of professional bull riders, you know, the, the big champions. Uh, we got pictures surrounding us. I mean, this is really something else. You never know where podcasts are going to take you, right? Never. And then we got actual people who have been writing longer than I've been born. Jimmy Cooper in 1981. I love Jimmy, man. Yeah, legend. He was really good. I also like Roy Cooper, his older brother. Never heard of them, but yeah, right there. glad I could experience this here at the PRCA All-Around Champions League in the basement of the Thomas and Mack Center. But Summer League, Trey Young's playing right now as we record this podcast, 11 points in the first quarter. He had some struggles early on in Summer League before he got to Vegas. There's obviously the, the Steph Curry comparisons. What have you seen from him that you that you like about his game? You know, it's so funny with the Summer League. However you play your first game, that's how people think you are. Like they, right. they, it, So he didn't shoot well his first game, so now everyone's saying he's taking crazy shots. He thinks he's Steph. He's not really Steph. <laughs> when you look, to me, his third game was really, really impressive because he has 21 points and 11 assists, but the assists were really like showing a lot of command of the offense. I mean, he, he really had some timely passes. I mean, just showed an advanced feel. And he always likes to have the Steve Nash comp rather than the Steph Curry comp. He, you know, he said he, he grew up watching Nash more than he did Curry. Um, I think he needs to refine his shot selection. I mean, that's pretty obvious. And defensively, right. the size is going to be an issue. But in terms of how he commands an offense, like if I'm Atlanta, I'm giving him the ball and just letting him learn on the on the job next yeah. year. And, you know, just essentially saying, like, if we lose, so what? We want to see how well you can orchestrate your teammates. What do you think is going to happen with Dennis Schroeder? Well, to me, they should trade him because I could see there being some frustration with how 
much of a gunner's mentality Trey has. Like, he does pull up and take some shots that, I mean, Steph, Lillard, maybe three or four guys in the league shoot from the distance that Trey wants to shoot from. Right. And he goes through cold stretches, and he's, you know, 19, 20, whatever it is. Like, you, the locker room is going to look at him like, you know, what's going on here? To me, Schroeder is not at the point where he's got a ton of trade value, so I think that's a question mark. But when you're looking at their management structure, new coach, you know, relatively new GM, I think they want it to be Trey's team. And I think that just means it's sort of inevitable that Schroeder would go out, right? Yeah, so their whole thing with Schroeder is that they, they're they okay with him being with Trey right now and not trading him, but that's a lot of that's because he doesn't have a lot of trade value yeah. right now. Uh, he's a very good player. CJ and I have talked about him. Um, he's a starting point guard in this league, but they are committed to Trey long-term. And one of the things you watch with Trey is, to your point about the passing, I think what got lost last year because he was so good offensively as a shooter that is that he, he is a great passer. And I'm not going to say he's Steve Nash, but his pick-and-roll game, his feel, his intelligence um, is very special. And so if he can just harness some of those bad shots, which will be a learning process, and I think it's important for him to, to make those mistakes – then I think he'll be fine. He's never going to be that old-school pure point guard, but he's so talented that I think he'll be okay. John Collins was eating a lot. You yeah. know, I mean, they had that high pick and roll like you're talking That's about. That's a nasty one, too. And, he, you know, he's not like he's Amari. You know, no one really had that explosive level of, like, early Amari, right. but you could just see that two-man game kind of developing where it's just dunk, 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 yeah. making Collins' life really easy, just spoon-feeding him. And that's the start of a pretty good offense. I mean, if you have that as your base, you find the right wings and shooters around him. Uh, I'd like to see some of these teams, whether it's Phoenix or Orlando, with a real hole at the point guard. Like, there should be some teams looking at Schroeder, don't yeah. you think? Absolutely. CJ, what do you think of Schroeder? I like his game a lot. I've, I've played against him. We came out in the same draft. I remember hearing about the guy who was going to sit out the combine last minute. He decided to sit out, which meant you obviously had a promise, and we're trying to figure out what team had promised him in the first round because I had heard about a kid who, who played really well in the, in the games in, in Oregon, with, I forget what it's, what's it called, World versus yeah, the Hoop World, Summit. World, yeah. yeah, the Hoop Summit games. So he played extremely well. He outplayed uh, some of the USA guards and showed quickness, showed extreme, extreme length, you know, crazy wingspan and ability to get to the rim. And I think he's shown flashes of that in the NBA. He's a guy who can pick up, you know, full court, sometimes token defense, but can turn you a few times before you set up the offense. He has a pretty good mid-range jump shot. And he has an elite speed and quickness and ability to change direction, similar to John Wall, but not John Wall in the sense that he can lull you to sleep, dribbling left, and then explode right in a, with a high crossover. But I'm a fan of his game. I think it's going to be interesting to see how, you know, they they flow. Obviously, uh, Trey's the future of the uh, organization and the franchise, but Schroeder is a very good player who's going to compete with him every day in practice and make him earn it, which will make him better. Yeah. And you guys brought the shot selection thing. I think that's one of the biggest adjustments you have to make as a rookie in the NBA is when to take certain shots versus when to pass versus when to, you know, keep everyone else involved. Because if you want John Collins to continue to set screens for you, you have to reward him. Otherwise, the screens are going to get slower. He's not going to sprint into them. He's not going to make contact as much, and people are going to start to envy you. So he'll have to figure out that balance early on. But I think he'll be good. But I like Kevin Knox better than a lot of these rookies I've seen. And yeah. it's funny because I was in New York during the draft, and there was a lot of boos when he was drafted. They want a porter. Yeah. Nick they fans want, want they to boo everybody, man. I, yeah. They need to back they off. They booed Porzingis. Yeah, that didn't work out. Or well, maybe it did work it, out. Maybe it did work out. So yeah. Maybe they're just trying to reverse jinx it. Like you boo every player and then they turn into like an all-star franchise type of guy, right? And make him angry. And he's, he's been playing with <laughs> Yeah, a what lot do you see in Knox? Is there a comparison you can make? It's hard because I was in Cabo watching some of the games on and off and, and not really paying attention, but seeing the highlights, seeing some of the, the YouTube videos on how he was scoring. 
obviously he showed ability to, to, to initiate the offense in a sense that he can get the rebound, take it full full court length. Not like Draymond, but in a sense that he was comfortable handing the ball, you know, weaving in and out. And obviously the finishing ability, we didn't see that. And one of the things I told my brother was that a lot of Kentucky players get better in the NBA. They're not able to show everything within Cal's offense. And it's not, no offense to Cal, but there's so many talented players there. Your role is limited. Like AD, no one's seen this type of AD at Kentucky, yeah. the versatility he has. And I think Knox has the potential to be a very, very good wing, a, a big wing who can shoot, who can drive. Obviously, the isolation stuff will come. And Porzingis probably not playing most of this season will allow him to, yeah. to have a lot of offensive responsibilities. To your point about Knox, part of that – Part of that Kentucky thing better in the league is that they have so much talent and guys get kind of typecasted. I mean, I talked to, to Devin Booker a lot about this. He was a corner three-point shooter. He didn't, he didn't get to put the ball on the deck. And now he's emerged into one of the best young scorers in the league. That's a perfect example. AD's another one. I would even say Cat is an example of that. But the, but the question mark with Knox is, or was at least, you know, he's a mid-30s three-point shooter, um, disappeared in a lot of big games, and then also – He's the third youngest player in the draft, so balancing that upside and ceiling. To me, his, his at least early returns have been incredible. I, I'm surprised, i got to be honest, Ben, that he's been this good. Yeah, well, I think he, that's a good fit for him, actually, because, again, they've cleaned house, new coach, you know, low expectations in year one, at least by New York standards. Right? There's worse times to go to New York than when you have a brand-new coach and Porzingis is working back from an injury. So there's not going to be that rush factor to sort of, okay, you've got to be a star right, right out of the gate. I think that benefits him given his youth, like you mentioned. I think stepping back, though, that is a bigger theme from the summer league is you look at New York, you look at Chicago and Memphis, and those are three teams I think that were pretty – short on hope last season you know it was like got dark kind of depressing in all three of those different places and all of them I think when you look at the guys they picked whether it's Knox whether it's Wendell Carter uh, and whether it's Jaron Jackson Jr. all three of those guys have had really nice moments so far in summer league and if I'm a fan of one of those three teams my takeaway from this week is like next year is definitely going to be better than last year was yeah Jackson's been lights out right he, he struggled the other night but his first game he had 26 made a ton of tough threes some step backs to me, Wendell Carter yeah. has been the real star. He was yeah. just talking to me. Oh, about he's stud. Wendell Carter. So before the draft, yeah. I, executives told me he's – they likened him to Al Horford. Yeah. And you can see that, except the guy's 19. He's got a 7-4 wingspan, a 9-6 standing reach. He's athletic. And I think what you've already seen is that he can shoot it. Already he can shoot it. He Again, a guy that didn't get to do necessarily all that in college. But defensively, he's already there, and he's smart, and he moves really well. He's very coordinated. Yeah, his family's kind of sniping at Coach K a little bit about like, how— this is what you could have had. Yeah, well, yeah, like Bagley was kind of like overshadowing him a little bit, but he doesn't need to pound the ball a lot to get to really good spots. Efficient shooter, like you mentioned. Defensively, he covers ground really well. I think the Horford comp is actually— on offense and defense, yeah, right? right? And I mean, pass a little bit. You look at his face. I mean, he almost looks like 30 years old, and he also talks and just kind of yeah. carries himself like he's 30 years old. He's overall the BS. He's just a very low maintenance type of guy. I think for Chicago, like when I was watching their season last year, I was like, you guys need to be tanking harder. <laughs> like you're winning too <laughs> yeah, many games yeah. by accident, and then you think you could have had a top three pick. Well, you look at Carter. He's played better than yeah, Bagley has, yeah. right? So great value for them where they landed in the lottery to get a guy like that. And with Markkanen, what's the biggest question with him? Doesn't play defense, right? right? Or more offensive-oriented. Pair him with Carter. Now you've got some complementary things you can kind of build with in your front court. Again, I'm excited if I'm a Bulls fan. Yeah, what do you see in Carter, C? I see a lot of versatility, like you guys said before. I think he has that chip on his shoulder, having to play second fiddle most of his college career. Obviously, the stories and reports came out about Coach K and them essentially not mentioning anything about 
Bagley come in there. You know, Wendell Carter was supposed to be the man. Offense is supposed to revolve around him. Kind of sold a dream, as we all are sold, going into college. And now this is his chance to kind of show, like, look, I was the guy they forgot about. I was the guy they could have ran offense through. I'm the guy who's going to play defense, who's not going to complain about the ball, but still can get you 15 and 10. And I think he's showing that he's, he's showing that he's a very, very valuable player. He's going to be able to do a lot of little things. And he's so versatile. You compare him with any lineup. You compare him with starters. You compare him with the second unit, and he'll blend in with both because of his versatility and, and low maintenance mentality. Because he understands, you have to do little things to stay on the court. He had 16 double doubles last year, which is second most ever for Duke freshman. So he was really productive. He just played on a team that was immensely talented, and in the front court with a player that was arguably more talented or equally. So right. he didn't get all that buzz. But to me. You can already see the likes of a guy that's ready to play in the NBA, and he's talked publicly about, you know, becoming the, a modern-day NBA player, trying to make sure he can run the floor, uh, rim protect, finish. But I think he's so much more than just, you know, a defensive specialist, and you're already seeing it. He's pretty skilled. Yeah, no question. I don't know if you guys have heard this story about his high school team where he gets 40-20 and 20 his junior year in the state championship to win Georgia's state championship. And then after the game, they, they get burgers and shakes to celebrate, and they drive home. You know, they're all excited. He's the last guy off the bus cleaning up the trash in the bus. Wow. And his coach is like, Wendell, what are you doing here? You know, like, that sounds but, like CJ, by yeah. the way. But so, Except you wouldn't get 40 and 20. <laughs> You're like 16. No, it's 60 and 4. Yeah. <laughs> but I guess the, the whole thing was like he likes to leave – the moral of the story, he likes to leave places better than he found them. And that, he's just that type of player. And you could say the same thing about Horford too where – you could argue he's the most valuable player on the Celtics, but he's never going to be the guy that everyone talks about. I mean, now even Tatum gets more attention than Horford does in terms of you know star power and all that. Uh, but who really makes them go? I mean, there's a reason why they're in the Eastern Conference Finals. To me, it started with Horford last year. Yeah, I think Horford was an underrated signing, and people talked about how much money he was making at the time you know, when he finalized his deal, but they didn't understand his versatility, his ability to guard one through five, allows the Celtics to switch. High IQ can pass off the pinch post, can knock down threes, uh, and can guard fives. And it's rare for you to have, besides Joel, Joel Embiid, Marcus Saul shooting threes now, not a lot of five men who can play inside and out and still be able to guard their position and switch on to the likes of you know a Ben Simmons and, and then be able to guard somebody like J.J. Redick. So I think that showed you just how versatile he was when, when Kyrie went down. And we talked about the Chicago Bulls, uh, Zach Levine. You know, $78 million deal coming off of injury. I like his explosiveness. I like his game a lot. I wasn't sure why the Sacramento Kings offer him that deal based on the guards they have in place now, Bogdanovich being in Turkey. I've seen him play against my brother in the Euro League. Good player. They have Fox. Yeah. I felt like they had a, a pretty good wing core. Maybe they offered that money to him to kind of stretch the cap of some of, of the Bulls or other teams, but I like, I like the signing of him. What do you guys think? Yeah, for me, the Levine was – the return from the Jimmy Butler trade. And if he had gone and they didn't match it, they got nothing. And he's been somebody that's, you know, he's a Seattle kid, so I've seen him play a lot. He's really talented from an offensive perspective. He can score, shoot it, but he, he really doesn't have a clue defensively. He's a phenomenal athlete. He doesn't. Jeez, you can't come on. No. <laughs> the not telling people he doesn't have a clue. He, he, he do, I mean, listen, I'm, I, I, I'm happy that he got paid. But There's the a guy, limit of your Seattle love. We just yeah, found it yeah. right there. It's the Zach Jeez. Levine defense. Am, am I wrong? No, I'm I with you. I think he has a clue. Oh, I, I think <laughs> we all have a clue defensively. Okay, I for think, an NBA I think starting he be, guard, he could be better defensively, but a lot of guys could be better defensively. The he, best, and, best yeah. defenders in the world get scored on every night. Well, Ben, I, I think you 
you probably side with me, right? About well, I mean, I, I kind of hear both sides. I think the way I look at this contract, it's sort of like a challenge, right? Because at this stage, and this is common for the second contracts, right? Like you're getting paid on potential, right? right? And like CJ is probably the same thing for you on your second contract. They're they're throwing you that max number. They're expecting you to grow into it, not that you're that guy at that moment when you sign the deal. And I think for Levine, I see a lot of areas he needs to grow. I mean, I think physicality, distributor too, uh, awareness, you know, defensively, like you're talking about, he could definitely make strides there. And as you're saying, he's got some blinders. You know, he really wants to score the basketball. That's how he is uh, wired. And he could, you know, expand his game a little bit to be more of a, a playmaker. And they're going to need that from him because guys like Carter, Markinen, they're going to need some backcourt love, you know, to stay involved and to really yeah. reach their potential. So. To me, I'm with you that Chicago kind of had to do it. I also hear what CJ's saying in terms of like they should do it because he's a talented oh, guy. Yeah. But it's still an awful lot of money for a guy who needs to answer the questions that I kind of laid out. No, I, I like Zach Levine. I'm just saying like if you're going to get paid that kind of money, yeah. th there's a considerable step that needs to be made. Yeah. And on top of that, more importantly, he's got to stay on the floor because yeah. he hasn't been able to. And, and that's – I'm not saying that's his fault, but he needs to be on the floor. And – Obviously, you know, Chris Dunn did some nice things last year as well, and I, I'd be interested to see this year how he does kind of running the show because it seems like that's the direction they're going, right, with, with, with yeah. Chris Dunn. Yeah, I agree with, with what you guys are saying wholeheartedly. I think his, his ability to improve will be crucial, and I think he has the tools to become a better defender. Obviously, he's athletic as they come. So the lateral quickness will translate coming off the injury. I think it will translate more this year. Understanding the game a little bit more, being more comfortable playing in games as opposed to working out because when you, when you get hurt, you go through the workout phase of just putting a lot of work in each day, and it doesn't always translate to results in game. So I think there's room for growth, but I think his potential, his potential is more than $78 million. It just yeah. depends on if he reaches it or not. And you talked about Jimmy Butler. I hate to get off topic here. No, but good, good. Jimmy Butler just liked a photo saying that Jimmy to the Spurs. Uh -oh. Ooh, that's, oh. see, that's why I, we have you excited. How did you know that though? Uh, because did I you? follow the right people on social media, and they, <laughs> and they point, tell you they screenshot things and point things. See, this out. is why. See, this is really CJ's uh, real value. Look, is his social this is social media. The, this is the NBA mafia right here. Bleacher Report, right here. Oh, shizzle fits. Bleacher Report. Wow. Just posted it on Twitter. But where where is Jimmy Butler going to go? I was just in the MBPA meeting with, with Towns and some of the guys. I didn't mention it. Obviously, it's the yeah. it's the thing floating around in the background. Where is Jimmy Butler going to go? Is he going to go to Portland? Yeah. Is he going to go to oh, San Antonio? You're campaigning now. Is huh? he going to go to LA? I'm just I'm just mentioning you know possible destinations for him. Is he truly happy? He's been in Europe for a long time now. Now he's coming back to the states. What's Jimmy Butler going to do? Jimmy, you're welcome to come on the pod at any point uh, as well. What I'd say. There was talk he might get the extension offer from Minnesota. When you look at his age, the number of miles that Tibbs has put him through, and his history with injuries, I mean, I'm a, a huge Jimmy Butler fan, but, like, he gets banged up because he plays so hard, and it just happens year after year. If I was him or his agent, I would advise him to just take the extension. And I understand you got things to work out in Minnesota. Maybe Wiggins doesn't quite play the way he likes. You know, maybe he wants more defensive intensity from Towns or whatever it might be. But if you can get that four-year extension on a big number and – you know, you're at this stage of your career, it'd be really, I mean, I, I might take the money in that situation more than like going to hand select, like yeah. some sort of a contender and, and just see what you can build in Minnesota. Yeah. How is he? What is he? 29? That 20, sounds, yeah. Right yeah. So he's, time. he's got one big deal left. Yeah, this is it. That's what this I'm saying. This is it. Yeah. This is, I totally agree with you. I mean, in Minnesota, like, I, I don't think Wiggins is going to be there long-term. I, I just, I don't, I don't know when that trade would happen, but I don't think they're committed to him. Well, we just mentioned Sack. Could you see Sack want to be interested in maybe trading for Wiggins? Like you missed I out could on see Sack. That. Sure. And if you're willing to pay him 19, maybe you're willing to take Wiggins as yeah. max. Yeah. Uh -huh. what? Wait, did you say this was his last deal? CP just signed a four-year deal. I think. No, I'm saying we're saying 33, 34. 
He can, yeah. get, he can get two more maxes if he performs at an elite level and stays healthy. Jimmy yeah. can get that's, two more that's my concern, though, is the health and the miles, right? Okay. Like, just, just the hard minutes that he's Jimmy, played. Tibbs yeah. loves playing him Jimmy, 40, you know? Jimmy, top sure. 12 guy? Top 10 guy? It depends on it depends on who else is healthy around the league. Is, is, is Kawhi healthy? I'm saying last year because I thought he was fantastic. He was year. very, very good. I don't, it's, hard to, it's hard to quantify the level of talent across the league each year. It changes based on injuries, based on performance. And then I can name 10 guys right now, I and you. then I can name a different yeah. 10 right. five minutes later. All right, let me ask it's, you this. It's debatable. I, I get yeah. this. It is debatable. Well, let me put it in different terms. When Jimmy guards you, what does he do so well? Obviously, he's physical. He's, right. a, he's tough. But give me a sense of that. He's smart. He's, he's smart. Kind of similar to Kawhi. They understand, you know, how you play. You know, what type of shots you like to take, try to force you to, to your weak hand, try to force you towards the help defense. Obviously, he's long. He's got that credibility as a defender, so he's able to get away with a lot more. Kind of similar to some of the better defenders in the league. The better you are at certain things, the more you're allowed to get away with, which in theory, it helps you. And in reality, the, the defenders that aren't as good at, at defense should be able to get more leeway, but they don't. You touch somebody, it's a foul if you're not a great defender. And then if you're a great defender, you're able to hold Tony Allen your way right through the league. And... I think that's what I've noticed. He's a very, very good defender. He plays hard. He's aggressive. But like you said before, they play a lot of minutes. They don't utilize the bench very well. And that's one of the reasons why Jamal Crawford yeah. didn't want to resign. Yeah. You got long practices, long shoot arounds, long season, and seven to eight guys played a majority of minutes. You and Tibbs screaming ice from the very first tip. Yeah. Ice! ice. Yeah. It feels like a college program when you hear that. Yeah, well, and I think some guys are wired for that. Like, Jimmy historically has liked that. You know, he's like, give me as many minutes. Like, he was begging to get on the court when he first got there in Chicago. And then, you know, he gets Fred, a totally different personality, and it was like oil and water, right? So, But I could see why if you're another guy on that roster and you see this sort of like J Jimmy Tibbs faction, you're thinking like, you know, how do I fit into this? Is this kind of turning me off? And... You know, especially if I was Cat's agent or, or his people, I would be having the conversation before he takes his extension of, like, how many minutes do you plan to play him next year? Can we start to try to get him onto a minutes limit? Is there anything that we can do to take care of his body? Because Cat hasn't missed a game yet. Like, we just write him in for 82 games every year, plays big minutes, but he's a big guy. Like, that that seems like you're kind of flirting with uh, disaster yeah. there a little bit, you know? Yeah, you know, going back to uh, – I totally agree with that, by the way. I mean, he's net, the guy's always on the floor. He's seven feet. At some point, you have to wonder. But – what I was going to say with CJ, I don't think we've talked about this on on um, on recorded, but we have discussed when like, you know, how you get away with things if you're a really good defender, right? Well, you also get away with things if you're a great <laughs> offensive was, player. I was waiting for you. To so how does how does that translate? Because like, so my thing with CJ is like, if he if he misses really badly, I'm like, do you tell the ref like I'm not going to miss that badly? I got fouled. <laughs> like do. how to you know give me a give me a little sense of you that. You use things to your advantage. Obviously, you take advantage of the game and. There's some guys who approach it certain ways where there's use of an extra step or extra half a step. And I always say that you always want to get to the point where you're so good, people say you're cheating. James Harden has got to that point to where he's so good offensively, people say he travels, people say he gets extra step. It's debatable, but he's so good that you argue that. And that's where you want to get to it, whether it's drawing fouls, get to the line, whether that's your hesitation dribble is so nasty, guys are jumping and they're saying he's double dribble or he's carrying or your shot's so deadly like Steph Curry to where he shoots, and if there's any type of contact, he either falls or he puts those hands down, and you have to respect it because he's such a good shooter. If there's contact, you protect the shooter, but you really protect the best shooter, arguably, of all time in Steph Curry. So I think you all – every player uses it to their advantage, whether that's defensively or offensively, and the more credibility you have, 
the more leeway there is. If LeBron drives to the basket and it's a block charge, unless it's the NBA Finals, uh, chances are it's going to be a block and they're not going to overturn it. But then you have some refs who are experienced enough to where they're not afraid to call that call or no call on a star player down the stretch of games. And I think you're starting to see that throughout the league to where there's always a discussion on if somebody was fouled. If Clay Thompson shoots the air ball and he wipes his hands, <laughs> you know that he just shot air ball. But if he looks at the ref, you automatically think Clay was fouled because this is a guy who's arguably one of the best shooters to ever step on the court. And to your, your question about me, do I do that? Sometimes if, I, sh I shoot air balls occasionally. It happens. And sometimes it's depth perception. Sometimes it's you just air balled. And, I will wipe my hands off at times. The, <laughs> if I love the ball the wipe. slipped. Oh, uh, yeah. <laughs> if you feel slip. like the ball slipped, you wipe your hands off. Or if you feel like your hand was hit, which a lot of times you follow through. Draymond, some of those defenders are the kings of you follow through and they don't let you. You're, you're following through, grabbing their hand. It kind of throws off your shot a little bit. And you tell the refs, like, look, you got to protect the shooter. Like, he's smacking my wrist. I'm not able to follow through. Or I need to be able to stick my landing. This is my space. Up, up up all the way through the ceiling, down all the way through the ground. If I shoot from here, I need to be able to land here. And sometimes defenders will walk under you. Shout out to Zaza Pachulia. Yeah, well, the, Wait, the, the NBA refs know their personnel too, right? I mean, like they know who can shoot, and so they're, gonna, they're doing the right. superstar stuff that you're talking about. Let me ask a real quick follow-up on that, because a couple years ago I asked Harden about some of the, the cheeky tricks that he has going to the basket and how he gets Grabs contact. And he's like, well, I'm an innovator. I'm seeing guys out there copying my moves. Who are some of the other players maybe in that category where they're the innovators where you're seeing, or maybe you put yourself in that category where there is evolutions to how you draw these fouls. It's like the cat and mouse game, you know? Like who else right. would you, who would you yeah. say? I mean, I definitely watched James Harden. He, he's a guy who grabs the arm driving to the basket and he's smart and he's done it so much that the NBA is, is starting to watch it. KD is one of the guys who does the rip through and the NBA recognized it, changed the rule to where it's uh Common know, foul. Common foul. So now he waits till it's four fouls, and he'll look up and like, oh, I got him. And he'll do it and walk right to the line. He'll be looking up like, why did he do that? It's a common foul. But then you realize <laughs> Katie's a very smart individual who's played this game so long. You can take away some of my tricks. I'm still going to figure out a way to utilize them. And you got guys like Isaiah Thomas, who I watch a lot of IT. He does the half spin a lot. He loves the half spin where he kind of hesitates, whether that's in a pick and roll on the side or underneath the basket when you're kind of driving, pretending to bring it out. He does that a lot. Kyrie drives to the lane, and this isn't like a trick the ref type of thing. He puts the ball in one hand, starts with one, finishes with two a lot of times. And I just watch a lot of different guys and try to steal moves from them, try to steal ways to be more innovative, whether that's pump faking at the beginning of moves or pump faking at the end of moves, just trying to add certain things that, that you see guys do. Or maybe you're guarding somebody like Jamal Crawford, who if you come anywhere near him while he's shooting it, he's the king of the four-point play. Yeah. Like, he's falling down, or he's going to make – he might jump forward slightly, but it's a natural shot because he has a slight drift, and he's getting an and one yeah. or three free throws. Yeah. What about uh, – just trying to think of another elite, like, not flopper, but yeah. actor that's really good at getting the ref to see what he wants them to see. <laughs> elite actor? CJ's not a great actor yet. I, I'm one of the few guys in the league who can average 20 points a game and shoot like less than three free throw yeah. attempts. Yeah, CJ and I, we talk, you got to get to the line, I'm thinking six, seven if times. If I can get a game. to the line five, five, five and a half times, that yeah. would be. Because that'd be five, in a five points free a game. Basically, so, extra four and a half, yeah. 4.7 points. So that's a blog boy favorite. They, they say guys like, you need to get to the line more. Like, you know, why don't you do it? I mean, right. Because it's well, hard. It's not that easy. It's right? a combination of things. A lot of it is on me yeah. figuring out ways to get to the free throw line how to get in the bonus, how to pump fake. Instead of, 
I'll pump fake. Instead of jumping into him, coach always gets on me. I shout out to DV. He'll be like, just jump into him. It's, it's two free points. I'll wait for him to land or pump fake and drive instead of just jumping into him and taking the points. Or I'm wearing the bonus, and instead of me grabbing their arm, I smack it off and keep going. Right. Whereas I could, I could sell the contact and let them hit me, but I'm just so used to avoiding stuff and just trying to get shots off, trying to get space that I just create the space and take it and, and score. So I have to do a better job of that. And the other thing I've talked to coach about, it, I've talked to assistant coaches is our substitution patterns. I usually play, like historically, I play like the first six minutes and then I sit out and I usually start the second quarter. So when we get into the bonus into the first quarter, I'm coming out of the game. So we may, I might drive and I get that contact and you look up and it's like, dang, it's only two fouls. Yeah. You know, we're not in the bonus yet. So some of that is me, some of that is substitution uh, patterns where I'm coming out, we're getting in the bonus, and then I start the second quarter, and I come out midway through or last media timeout. Sometimes I play the entire second or the entire fourth to where I'm getting free throws, but I'm not getting them until the second half. Yeah. So it's, it makes it's a, a combination of, of things. You got guys like Jimmy, who Jimmy's lives at the free throw line, but he also plays, you know, 10, 12-minute stretches to where you can get in the bonus, and then once you get those bumps, those, those small contact fouls, you shoot more free throws. So I think it's a combination of things, but I have to do a better job as well. Yeah, that's interesting. I also think if you grow up a pure shooter, you know, you're looking shot first. You're not thinking about all this other stuff. You almost right. have to learn all the junky stuff. Whereas if you grow up with a broken jump shot, <laughs> you're, you're right. relying on the tricks to kind of carry you through, right? Exactly. So if you can shoot, you pump fake in the corner, you're like, like Steph Curry does. He's taking a side dribble or he's moving the ball, letting right. you fall down, mm-hmm. leaving clay. Rarely do they jump into guys because you have so much, like I have a premium amount of confidence in myself. Like I feel like I could take the foul, but I could just knock this down too. So I have to be more smart and cognizant of drawing contact. And talking about three-point attempts, Boogie Cousins made a career high in three-point attempts last year. And <laughs> Great he, transition. Look at on, you, smooth. So did Carmelo, by the way. <laughs> so did Carmelo. Shot to Melo. We have to talk about both of these guys, starting with Cuz, who – Obviously, I texted him. I had a discussion with him. When do you think he comes back? I seen a tweet that said the average timeline for NBA players on Achilles is 9.8 months, which takes him to November. Do you think he comes back pre-Christmas or after Christmas? I mean, if I'm them, there's no rush. I mean, we've already seen how they protect guys. So I would say my personal guess would be after Christmas because the most important thing both for him and them is that he has a nice postseason, right? Like, right. don't you think he's going to make his next contract money in the playoffs? It's not going to be about what he does before the – the trade deadline, it's not going to be what he does in March when they're just playing out the string. So I would take it super duper smooth. Um, I think if you get him back around the, the start of the new year, that's enough time for him to learn what they want to do defensively. It's enough time for them to build chemistry on offense. Um, I think his shooting ability is going to be big for them because they can play five out when he's out there. It's not like, you know, Zaza or some of these other guys who are playing center where that's taken up some of the space. But I also think his low post scoring ability is going to be huge too because they haven't had that. I know they've talked about wanting to have that. And I just think when you get in these situations where defenses are switching on KD or Steph or whatever, like eventually a guy like Cousins can just kill switches down yeah. low. And, you know, I'm pretty high on their offensive ceiling, I guess, with him on there. I know people doubt him for lots of different reasons. I just think that he did a, he did a nice job of picking his home, I think, in terms of yeah. a team that can make the most of his skills and sort of limit maybe some of his red, red flags a little bit. Yeah, I, I agree. I think for him it's – I would say after Christmas as well, and I, I just wonder, I think th- it's a three-part process for him. One is play fewer minutes as a whole, get healthy, and this is maybe most important, is prove that he's a winner and that you don't have to worry about him in the locker room. And I, if he does all that and they win a championship, or even if they don't win one, 
he's going to get his bag. He's going to get taken care of, and he's going to have an unbelievable max deal. Before the Pelicans, or before he got injured, the Pelicans were going to offer him a five-year max. There was no question about it. Right. Then he gets injured. AD plays like an MVP. They sweep the Blazers, and he's. Ex- I'm sorry, but then he's expendable, yeah. and that's what that's what the Pelicans thought. And I, I'm if I'm the Warriors, I'm ecstatic. But to your point, I'm in no rush. And I love what you said about the low post because what gets lost with all his shooting and some of the passing is he can really score in the block. Right. And their best post player has been Sean Livingston. Yeah. So to get Cousins down there as a great passer, a guy that can score around the hoop, is going to be enormous. Yeah, it's it's unfortunate that he decided to do that. Honestly. Um, I just wish other teams would have offered him. I yeah. wish the Lakers would have figured out a way to, to make that work for him so he didn't have to go to the Warriors. But based on conversations and, and what I've heard from across the league is that he, he was forced to do this. And you know how Cuz re- reportedly you know flicked off the fan saying after the Warriors last year. You know how he felt about the entire situation. Yeah. But when it comes to feeding your family and, and making the best decision for yourself, you have to take what's available. So there's some people that think that you know he was a traitor or he took the easy way out. He took the only way out. From the looks of it, you know, from the outside looking in. Well, let's be real. If he wasn't hurt, he's not going to Golden State. You no know? chance. And under no circumstances. So, and I think people are underestimating. Like you mentioned, the timeline. That's a long timeline for a recovery to be away from basketball for basically ten months. It could be twelve months. You know, however long that takes. Right. His career is at a crossroads. Like it's not guaranteed he's going to come back and be a max level player. We all hope he would. You know, but right. we've seen other guys where that injury really robs them of a lot of earning power. And he's already done well on his second contract, so it's not like a life or death situation, but certainly he, he, I think he picked the Warriors with an idea of how can I boost my value up? What's the most direct way to do it? You know, let me ask you as because he's not one of these freakish athletes from a leaping standpoint, does the Achilles thing not maybe have the same effect because he's not going to rely on that quick twitch stuff. I think the way he scores, it won't affect him as much as it would for an explosive player, but He's still an Achilles injury for a guy who's probably over 300 pounds or close to 300 pounds right now, seven foot. We have our normal injuries. We go through our normal nicks and scratches and just overall wear and tear from a season. You add the Achilles to it, then there comes the walk. Your walk changes, your gait changes. You have to kind of revamp everything, learning how to walk again, learning how to jump again, learning how to shoot again, making sure you're not favoring the other one because as I've seen, I, bro- I fractured my left once and then I refractured it again within nine months. And that, that time span of once you get past that first year, you have like a 99 or 98% chance of certainty that you won't do it again. You refracture it and then there's the rate increases as we've seen from KD as well. So he has to get through that first year without, without hurting anything on the other side. And then I think he'll be good to go. But one of my good friends tore his Achilles. He was 220, he got up to 250. And he said it took him two full years to yeah. feel like himself again. And this is a guy obviously doesn't have NBA treatment, doesn't have you know our type of access, doesn't play for a living, but plays and takes good care of his body, gained 30 pounds. Yeah. So that kind of Did gives you Did you gain weight when you got hurt? Absolutely. I probably gained 15 to 20 just on a broken foot. Wow. I couldn't walk, immobilized, crawling up the stairs, you know, sitting in the chair to take a shower, oh. all that stuff. And Achilles is worse. It's one of the worst injuries you can have because it's also very painful. Yeah, and let's be real with Cousins, too. I don't think people should hold this decision against him, not only because of the injury, but, like, he went through a lot in Sacramento. Like, there was some really lean years yeah, where right. he was paying dues and everyone was killing him because they're not making the playoffs, yeah. and he's the best player, and yeah. it's his fault. And I'm not excusing anything with, to do with his behavior. I mean, he certainly had his share of the guilt in terms of what was going on there, but this is a nice payoff for him. Like, yeah. he put in seven, eight years of losing Absolutely. seasons and going nowhere and – weird moves around and the things that he can't control 
And I think finally, you know, that's the whole point of unrestricted free agency. You finally can kind of control your destiny. And I get why people would be upset. Okay, the Warriors are loading up. They're too talented, this, that, and the other thing. There's a chance he won't even play to close games in the playoffs. You know, I mean, they might go small like they've been going, and he's he's watching like everybody else. So uh, I guess I just don't hear that side of the argument quite as loud. I think, I think being in Sacramento was such a domino effect of losing and frustration. It boiled up. Then he goes to the Pelicans. He plays great. And then he gets uh, hurt. It's almost – this is not his last chance, but this is a massive opportunity. And for me to say he needs to be back by this time I think is, is unfair of, of really anybody. I, I think they need to take their time. Like you said, Ben, the playoffs are what is really going to determine his fate. Yeah. Yeah, facts. And I, I think Cuz will come uh, bounce back. He'll be great for the Warriors. Obviously, he'll be on minute restriction early on. But he'll be able to give them that post presence, anchor the second unit if he plays with the second unit. And – Come playoff time, he should be. Yeah. He Can should I ask be you one question on Cousins? Absolutely. What do you what, what do you think in terms of adjusting his game will be the hardest thing to fit in with Golden State? Because they have very clear ways they want to play offensive and defensively. I think they'll probably change some of that to like get the most out of him. But what what sacrifice is he going to have to make, or what change is he going to have to make to kind of fit? Well, I think people misunderstand the fact that Cuz is a great passer and a willing passer. An average over five assists when he played with the Pelicans. We played against him without AD on multiple occasions, and he showed he can command a double team and make the right play. He can start a move and not finish a move and find the open man. So he's already a really good passer, but he's just going to have to get used to not getting as many touches. He's been the featured offensive player. Even when he played with AD, it was, all right, your turn, my turn, your turn, my turn. Type of mentality where you know if there's 80 possessions in a game, 10 to 20 of them is coming through you, minimum. 10 to 20 coming through you. So now with the Warriors, it's equal opportunity. They move the ball, they share the ball, there's cutting, there's moving, they play a fast pace, and his minutes are going to be reduced. So how does he adjust to not getting touches every possession? To Some games you might play 25 minutes and get seven shots. And we've seen Clay go through those, yeah. those right. spells where he'll score 40 and then he'll score 10 because he doesn't get a lot of touches. But he's such an efficient shooter and scorer and has gotten used to scoring out of flow, not touch the ball for four minutes, bang three threes in a row, to where he's got years of doing that. Cuz isn't used to that. So that's a hard thing to adjust to, to where it's hard to be out there running up and down, not touch the ball, then you get an open three and knock it down. Like You have to be a really good shooter to do that. And I think he's a good enough player to adjust, but it's going to take some time. Before we get to our next segment, I want to introduce you to Wolf and Shepard. Now, this is a brand I'm incredibly excited to speak to you about. One who's redefining what's possible, in your dress shoes. If you know me, you know that when I'm on the court, I need to feel my best. If I want to perform my best, and that always starts with the shoes I'm wearing. Shout out to Lee Neen. And that mentality doesn't end when I'm off the court. Whether I'm at an event, in a meeting, even doing this podcast, I need to be feeling good and looking good in order to present the best version of myself. This is why Wolf & Shepherd is personally such an exciting brand to work with. They've made me dress shoes with the athlete in mind, incorporating sneaker technology and innovation into an industry in need of an upgrade. This means using soft Italian leathers, memory foam cushioning, and lightweight materials that allow you to move around more easily and stay in that hustle mindset. Guys, I'm wearing a pair right now, and they are easily the most agile, comfortable dress shoes I've worn. I even had my boy Jordan ask about them. Yes, they look really good on him as well, believe it or not. Now, a lot of shoe brands are going to say their dress shoes are comfortable. Well, these guys talk the talk and walk the walk. Literally, last year, they had a guy set a world record running a half marathon in dress shoes. Yes, he entered and won a race wearing dress shoes. I'm not kidding here. These shoes aren't messing around, and neither will you once you get them. 
Now, for my listeners, we're offering 10% off their first purchase using the promo code PULLUP, one word. So you can see what I've already discovered. Now, remember to go to wolfandshepherd.com and use promo code PULLUP, one word, for 10% off your first purchase. Now, remember, go to wolfandshepherd.com and use promo code PULLUP for 10% off your first purchase. Wolf and Shepherd. I wonder, transitioning, if we can, to another guy that is going to be having to adjust is, is Carmelo. And that was my professional segue. I see the segue. You guys, you guys got it nailed, man. I'm impressed. Yeah, you know what? This is It's all because we're in the Thomas and Mac with the rodeo people. But he had 169 threes last year, career high in makes and attempts. Yeah. Shot 40%, which was not good, obviously, uh, from the floor during the regular season. Minus 14 plus minus was really unplayable against Utah to a degree. Jeez, so I, jeez, you're harsh. You can't, you can't. I'm a mellow fan, so some things I just can't stand. Absolutely a mellow fan. The guy's one of the greatest scorers of his generation. He said he was unplayable. Ben, he well, was awful in the playoffs. Look, I have a hot take. Uh, CJ, don't spit out your water here. I think if I was Houston and I had my choice of the three, Ariza, Mbamute, I pick Mbamute, Carmelo to go against Golden State in the playoffs next year, I would have Melo ranked third just for matchup yeah. purposes. I just think with Ariza. He was I, – I know, I know. I'm sorry. I wish you guys could see my face right now. Hold on, hold on, hold on. He I, said I, I wanna, third. I wanna, he I said I not do, second. I, I want to hear why. I want to hear why. I'm just saying with Ariza, we know he's the, the all-around right. two-way guy. I think that one's like pretty clear in terms of just solid, consistent, your best KD defender. I think with Mbamute, he was injured, and that really screwed him up in that series. He just couldn't find any way to contribute. Yeah. He didn't trust his shoulder. He was just kind of shook anytime he got the ball. I think he can be better than he looked. And I think if you're trying to match up with KD with Golden State, you have to have that lockdown guy. Melo can't do that. And if you have Melo on the court, Golden State's going to be able to hunt him a little bit defensively. And yeah. I just worry that his offensive skills that we know exist aren't going to be able to be enough to kind of overcome that. Yeah. I'd just rather have a 3 and D guy in that role to go against Golden State. But I realize that's blasphemous to a lot of people, including CJ. CJ, you're going to counter right now. Yeah, go ahead, CJ. Yeah, I mean, I understand what you're saying from a matchup standpoint. Obviously, defense is a premium. Being able to make three-pointers is a premium as well against the Golden State Warriors. Being able to score in general. You can stop them all you want, but if you can't score, you can't win. So I understand that. However, I think the mellow we've seen isn't the mellow that's still there. I think Melo can give a lot more than 16 points, 40% from the field, and 36 from three. I think it was an uncomfortable role for him, and he's adjusted, and he's figuring out ways to become more comfortable with not getting a lot of touches, which is what Cousins is going to go through. Less touches, more catch-and-shoot yeah. jumpers, less isolation, less dribbles. There was a lot he had to adjust to. Obviously, he had the family situation as well, which can drive you for a loop. Your mind can go crazy when your household isn't secure. So I think there's a lot of things he went through. But to say that Mbamute, no disrespect to him, is better than Melo is yeah. – I, I no, can't. I'm not saying in a vacuum. I'm you're just saying, saying for that for very that, specific that playoff team. matchup. I know. understand what you're saying, but if yeah. you can get Melo on a discount in Houston yeah. with the yeah. way they play, obviously sure. defense isn't – obviously Here. the Houston Rockets are a good defensive yeah. team. Top ten. Like you look at, the, look at who defends on that team. Mm-hmm. P.J. Tucker, Trevor Reza, who's no longer there, and Bamute, who's no longer Capella. there. Capella, CP, yeah. That's James it. at times. Yeah. You, no, you, Melo, you told me James doesn't try. Well, he, he, he defended a lot better. He defended a lot better in the finals. I yeah, said he that did, he did. in past years, he saved yeah. it off for offense, yeah. and it was obvious. He defended in the playoffs. He ripped, he ripped KD. Yeah. He, he sat down good. more in the playoffs. He had more great defensive plays than he did lapses yeah, this true. time around, which is a credit to his effort yeah. and intensity. But I think you, you insert Melo to that Houston Rockets team, you're going to get a recharge Melo. A Melo who's listening to us like talk that. about how yeah. he may not be the same. This is a guy who averaged 25 points a game two years ago. Like, yeah. It's hard to average 20. I don't care if you're playing for 
a G League team in the NBA, it's hard to get 25, 25 points a game as a featured guy. So I think he still has a lot left to give. And he just changed the dynamic because the Houston Rockets struggled offensively. They had two yeah. guys, and if CP or one of those guys didn't throw a lob to Clint Capella, he wasn't really a factor offensively. If PJ wasn't knocking down threes in the corner or Trev, who else scores besides EG? That's so they were they were really predictable, and they got great series from Gordon, and you know they got pretty much everything they could possibly get out of Chris. Right. So did they hit their ceiling offensively last year? I mean, there's an argument to be made. Carmelo could raise their ceiling a little bit. I also think they're so good at staggering minutes in yeah. Houston, where last year it was like you could always have James or Chris on the court. Now you can go into next season potentially and say we always have two of these three on the court, right? Yeah. And maybe that opens up more opportunities for Carmelo. Yeah. Um, I don't know. I'm just not the world's biggest Carmelo fan at this point. I do think – he did more. He didn't get enough credit for the adjustments he did make, but I right. think the fit there with with Paul and Russell and it all being so new, he wound up kind of as the scapegoat yeah. for it. Um, but I don't know. Here's 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 where I'm at. You know, when he was in OKC, he thought he was going to big three. He, yeah. he it didn't work out like that. They didn't really feature him. Uh, he wasn't getting the kind of touches he wanted. And I think for the opportunity to go to Houston, here's why it could work. Mike D'Antoni's not a grudge guy. They obviously had issues in New York. D'Antoni was he, – he shepherded in this new offense that Carmelo was not ready to play at, at that point in his career. Now I think he has no choice because if he goes to Houston, that's the only way to play, which is, you know, he, be a spread guy that can make threes. Spread the floor. Don't put the ball on the deck. Don't play bully ball. And more importantly, Chris Paul, who, who I think I reported two days ago, is he's advocating for Melo to be there. If he can talk to Melo and he could get him to buy in, then you're going to deal with somebody that's different. But if Carmelo just goes there, maybe like he did in OKC, saying, I'm going to get mine, it's not going to work. And yeah. Houston won't tolerate it. They were top 10 in the league last year in defensive efficiency. He has to go there and he would have to guard a little bit yeah. And he has to be a, be a better shooter. I do think he will get better looks with the Rockets than he did with OKC. He will get threes for days right. and he will play the four, which is, yeah. I think, That's his very spot. beneficial. To Trail threes, playing the four as opposed pick to and pop. And if you surround him with a bunch of defenders, and you can also play him with the second unit too, then he gets his touches on offense. He feels right. more comfortable. He's more likely to want to defend. And he has to prove that he can still defend at this level. He can still score at this level. He's going to have a huge chip on his shoulder, regardless of if he goes to Miami, that's, which that's, Pat Riley will make sure that body is in he'd shape. He'd be in great shape. <laughs> Pat Riley, if, no, at the very least, yeah, that would extend Mello his will career. be in the best shape. That would extend his career. Of, he will be, be yeah. in better shape than he was at yeah. Houston if yeah, he goes absolutely. to Miami. So you don't, you don't necessarily know what's going to happen. The Lakers. Well, I'd say in Houston, to go back to your point about getting high-quality shots, I think both James and Chris are better passers than anybody that was on OKC. James roster. is an underrated passer, yeah, I think. And, and a great kickout passer yeah. for threes. And so I think he would be feasting on wide open looks, like CJ was saying. Um, I think if you're Houston, the question becomes, if you don't go for Melo, are there any other better opportunities out there? I think, I think Jamal, at this point of free agency, I mean, I don't know. Jamal didn't have a good year, but you could get him for cheap. Yeah. Um, you know, th there's not a lot yeah. left. That's my point. So if your choice is Melo or yeah. no Melo, Roddy Hood's still out there, but he's not going there. So there's not – yeah, and Melo for cheap. I mean, yeah. really cheap. They, because OKC's basically still yeah, there. Yeah, and so for me, I, I, I bring up the Lakers, obviously. Would, would him and LeBron work, CJ, after all these years? Because to me, that, that makes a lot of sense too because that's another place you could go where LeBron's there obviously controlling the game, but he would get great looks, and he would be a featured guy, you right. know, alongside Ingram. I think LeBron can play with anybody, honestly. 
if James and CP can play together, why yeah. can't LeBron and Melo play together? I agree. Melo's one of the better jump shooters we've seen. Mid-range-wise, his jumper is unbelievable. Yeah. Jab jumper. He could play pinch post. LeBron's talked about posting up more. So if you have Brian posting up and Melo spacing and then vice versa, you switch them, allow them to both yeah. kind of operate, it'll work. But then you got to move Ingram or Kuzma. Somebody right. has to exactly. go because I've already told Cuz and Kuz, there's so many – so many wings there. Josh Hart's playing well. He's showing. Yeah, he's solid. He's, he's going to play minutes for them. Man. Yeah, he's, he's solid. Here he there. has yeah. to play minutes. Yeah. Ingram has to play minutes. He showed potential. Kuzma, we already know. Has Lonzo, to play Rondo, minutes. KCP, Lance. KCP's on a, on a one-year deal who you didn't yeah. like. Um, I didn't like the twelve million. Yeah. So there's a lot of interesting things that have to happen with the Lakers, and uh, I think we're we're getting we're getting low on time. I will say with Carmelo, can he not be in Houston, for example, or maybe in LA? Can he not be Team USA, Melo? Just spread the floor and make I don't threes. know how he'll be Team USA Mellow again because he's not on Team USA. And with that, with the type of threes he was getting, shooting at, shooting at a college line. Also, yeah, well, FIBA line closer. That's yeah. true. It was but wide open looks, I mean. He'll get, he'll, he'll get those looks in Houston. Right. And that's yeah. it. He won't get those looks in LA. That's fair. If, if I was him, I would go to Houston. I agree. When it, try to win a championship. They're yeah. arguably a Chris Paul hamstring away. Yeah. No, and and like we talked about, the offensive fit and then just support and structure right. too. I mean, they've already figured how they want to play out on both offense and defense, and I think that's helpful too. Like if you're a free agent, you don't know what the Lakers are going to be. The Lakers don't know what the Lakers are going to be. They have a lot to figure out. I mean, you know what LeBron's going to be, but who exactly fits around him? Uh, to me, it's going to take them a while to figure that out. I think it's more plug and play if you're Carmelo to go to Houston. So time-wise, we're tight. Are we going to do wine or are we going to talk a little Dame? Let's go wine. <laughs> he's talking, I knew that. He's ducking the hard one. Yeah, no, cue, cue the wine music. We can, we the can, wine music is we key. Can, we can hit that next week. Cue the wine music, please. So last week was my girl's birthday, so we went to a winery and took part in some of the most epic tasting of the summer. Uh, had some wine at Domain Serene. Had some wine at uh, Walter Scott. Shout out to both of you guys for taking great care of us. I'm truly appreciative of you know being able to celebrate a special time with my lady with you guys while enjoying some fine wine. During our recent vacation trip to Cabo, I tried a Barlow Siralunga de Alba 2011. This is right <laughs> off of Vino. I got a picture of it as well. It's an Italian wine priced at $49.98 on Vivino, but the average price is $56.98. For those of you who want affordable wine, I'm here for you. It's among the top 2% of wines in the world. And it can be paired with lamb. I had it with lamb. It was very, very tasty. Um, it's a rich, round style of modern flavors. And I really, really enjoyed it. And we recommend it to you guys. And Jordan, I know you've been drinking wine because you've been sending me a lot of them. And Ben, you have to give a wine recommendation. Yeah, Ben, you well. go. So I'm trying to find the picture no, of the wine. I'm the wrong guy to ask on this. I don't drink. So I'm sorry. <laughs> oh, I got nothing for you. I'm sorry to hear that. Well, CJ, I, I had a great wine and I can't find the label. Um, so instead, I will give you another one because I, I don't know where it is. Um, we had a great Pinot last week. And I mentioned on the show before, and I'm trying to think of the name. Uh, oh, Rivers Marie. Rivers Marie. Second time I had it this summer. And I'm going to restress it because the 2014 or 2013, it's not that expensive, somewhere around 60, which is expensive for a Pinot. But for what this is, this is a phenomenal wine. Rivers Marie. It's from California, classic Pinot. It's just great. You will love this wine. And as somebody that understands the value of organ Pinots, as CJ yeah. loves the, the mineraly, this is not that, but this is great. And I think you got to get, get some. Awesome. I look forward to it. And 
We appreciate you for coming on, Ben, spending some time with us in the dungeon. Once again, follow the show at Pull Up Pod on Twitter, Facebook, and Insta. Insta. You can follow me at 3J McCollum on Instagram, at CJ McCollum on Twitter, and at CJM313 on Snapchat. And you can follow Jordan at Schultz underscore report on Instagram and Twitter, Jordan Schultz on Facebook, and Benjamin. At Ben Golliver on Twitter, Ben.Golliver on Instagram. And don't forget to pull up. up.